Take your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, where we're going to be. The uh, Wow, what a, what a day of rain uh, we've had. It's interesting, this past week we were talking about how unusual it's been. I think before today we were, we were counting them up and it was one out of the last five Sundays we only had one without rain and now this will be six and so it's been crazy. But anyway, we'll be complaining about the rain not being around uh, later on this summer. Uh, you know, there's uh, that great theologian of humanity, Jerry Seinfeld, who once said that, observing humanity, he said, you know, wherever we are, we're never settled. It's just one of the things that's crazy about us, we're, we're never settled. We're always kind of looking out to the what, what's next. It's like we're, we're always running around in life with a boarding pass in our hand, always looking for the next destination, the next step, barely really enjoying where we are because we're always one foot moving toward whatever is next. And this series is, recognizes that. And, and for the next several weeks, we're going to be all about the what's next, just focused on the what's next. And how do we prepare for the what's next? Because all of us have a what's next coming. Maybe for some of us, it is a new job that's next. Maybe it's graduation is near. Maybe it's you have a child graduating that is, that is near. I have one that will be graduating next year. Maybe that's it. Maybe your what's next is a health issue that you didn't see coming. Maybe your what's next is you're going to have a baby or you're beginning to talk about having a baby or your children are having babies. You're going to be grandparents or maybe you're beginning to talk about adoption. Maybe your what's next is you're getting married, or maybe it is empty nesters coming soon, or retirement. The, the, wherever we are in life, the truth is there is always a what's next. There's always a new season right around the corner, and sometimes we see that new season coming. We know what it is, and it can be good or bad, but sometimes we don't see it coming at all. It surprises us. It invades our reality where we are. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. But the truth of the matter is there's always a next step. There's always a what's next. There's always a new season that's around the corner. In this series, we're going to jump into that. And we're going to ask each week and answer this basic question. And that is, are there things we can do right now to get us ready for what's next? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. And it is such a vitally important question for us to ponder and think about and ask and find answers to because there is one little inescapable reality, and that is this, is that there is no automatic correlation between knowing what is next and being prepared for what is next. And just because you may know what your next is, what your new season coming, what it is going to entail, may, just because you know what it is doesn't mean in any way that you are prepared to walk into it and be successful. I mean, ask any couple that's been married for quite a while. They'll tell you. But they'll look back on that day that they got married. And they knew what their next step was. They knew what their what's next was. They knew what it was. It was clear. It was there. It was before them. And it was a big one. You're getting married. You're committing your life, your heart to someone for the rest of your life. 
Absolutely, we knew what it was. They knew what it was, but they also realized they weren't really prepared because there's so many things they had absolutely no clue of. They didn't really know what they were vowing to. You really don't on the day that you're married. Didn't really have a clue as to what marriage would require, what marriage would need, and what it could give. Really wouldn't have a clue as to what real love looks like. Or, or, or what real love can do and can be when it's nurtured and what it becomes when it's ignored. Those are the things that, that, that on that day you step into saying, I do. You know, you know what the step is, but there are so many things you're not prepared for in that moment. Because just because you know what's next doesn't mean you're prepared for it. I, you know... <laughs> I tell you what would happen if you would get, I always love getting these new little couples that are about to get married and they come in for premarital counseling. You really can't teach them a thing, you know. We all do premarital counseling, but premarital counseling would actually be far more beneficial if you did it a year after they were married because a little reality begins to set in at that point. But you get these little couples come in and they they got all that answer, you know, and you begin to talk about expectations and struggles you may have. Oh, no, we we, we talk about everything because we're in love. You know, we, we, we never... We never argue. We never fight. What we do, we're over it like in 10 seconds because we just guess and make it. You know, they give you all this stuff that they got it all figured out, and you're just sitting there. If I had five married couples in here, they would all laugh at you because you really, really at that point, you know what's next, but that doesn't mean you're prepared for it. And I don't want to make it sound like, make marriage sound negative at all. It's an incredible institution that God created for our well-being and can do so much for us, but my point is just that. You can know what's next and still not be prepared for it. In fact, many of us walk into life and that's what causes a lot of the problems and the struggles that we have in life is that we knew what the next step was, but we were not prepared for it. And I find a lot of times that comes back on us. I find that so often we don't become intentional and, 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 and word to gain wisdom and become a man or woman of greater wisdom until we're at that place where we need to draw on some wisdom. I find that so often we don't become intentional about working and cultivating and building a, a strong character until we're at that place where we really need to draw on a strong character. So often we don't become intentional and work and nurture faith until we're at that place where everything that we held on to for security and peace has been stripped away from us and all we have left to do is to hold on to our faith. And the question is, will it be strong enough at that moment? So often, we move into life, into what's next. And the problems aren't what's next. The real problem is we're just not prepared for what's next. And so this series, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about and jump into what can we do today? What habits, what ideas, what, what behavior can we cultivate today to put us in a position to be successful for our what's next, whatever that is? What can we do now to prepare us for then? So we're going to begin today with a little bit of help from a guy by the name of James. And James weighs in on this, and this is what he basically says. I'll tell you what he says up front. And he basically says this. If you will do what I tell you to do now, you will be blessed later. If you will do in this season what I tell you to do, you will breed success in your next season. 
And, and if you read the book of James, what you'll find is James basically has this philosophy in his approach to life, and that is this. And that's preparation is far better than a plan. That's kind of his whole approach, his whole mindset, his teaching that God gave him to put in the Scripture. That's kind of his approach. And it's great to have plans. Some of you need to make some plans. You're just kind of bubbling through life. It's great to have plans for life, for job, for career, for love, for wealth. It's great to have that. But unless you're prepared for what life will need from you, what a successful career will require, what love will require, what gaining wealth will require. Unless you're prepared for that, then guess what happens to your plans? Your plans just become outer reach dreams. Because, and James is right on this, God is right on this, is that plans are great, but preparation is always far better than a plan. And so we're going to, that's really the heart of the next several weeks is that, hey, we may make plans and plans are great and plans are fun and sometimes plans are needed. But more than that, we need to be as intentional at being prepared for whatever comes next. What can we do today to get us ready for the season that is coming, whether we know it or not? Well, James, if you know, he was not originally one of the disciples. He was not one of the original 12. In fact, he came late to the Jesus movement. And, and Jesus, he knows Jesus very well. If you know this, you know that John was, or James was his half-brother. James grew up with Jesus. But while Jesus went out on his, on his uh, public ministry and began to say that he was the Son of God and that he was the Savior, James just thought he was a kook, right? I mean, James thought he's the black sheep of the family. He's got good intentions. He's a pretty good guy. But, you know, you know I can't really point out what he's done wrong. He's just crazy here. I mean, I mean, that's understandable, right? What would you think if your brother came up and said he was the son of God? You're, you're like, no problem, you don't, you know, my brother, you don't know my brother. But something happened after the resurrection that was so powerful that it convinced James that his brother was his savior. That his brother was the son of God. That, that had to be huge, right? I mean, to me, that is just James's conversion here. Is to me one of the evidences of the power of the resurrection. Because, you know, think about what would it take for you to end up believing that your brother was the Son of God, that your, your brother was your Lord, he was your Savior, he was your God, it would have to be something that you probably can't even fathom what would have to take place. And, and, and to me, that's just evidence of the effect of the power of the resurrection on the people that witnessed it. To the point that this man said, I knew him, we grew up together, and now I'm going to give my life to him because he is my Savior. And James doesn't just become a believer, he becomes a leader in the movement. He becomes the leader of the church of Jerusalem, which, if you know, was the headquarters of Christianity back then. So very powerful. And, and James is kind of of the ilk of Peter, I guess. James is very matter-of-fact. He's very black and white. He's very just kind of blunt. And so James chapter 1, verse 22, he says this. Do not merely listen to the word, and so, be, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
He says here, do not merely listen to the word. You've got to kind of put that in context. There was, there was no personal Bibles back then. You couldn't go to the store and pick one up. There was no personal hold in your hand kind of copy of the word. There was no apps. There was no quick way to look up a scripture or something like that. What was the custom amongst early Christianity and, and Judaism as well was this way, was the custom was there was very few copies of what was considered scripture. In this point in time, it was the writing of the apostles. And, and the disciples. And, and there's very few copies of those things. They'd be circulated around. So you would find out where that was. And you would go and you would sit and you would listen to the Scripture as it was read and as it was taught. So you could substitute here or add, put a also, I guess, on here where you say, do not merely listen, that's all they had to do do not merely listen or you could say in today's culture do not merely read the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says in other words he says don't fool yourself into thinking that just reading or listening to the scripture makes a difference follow me This is big because there is something in you and there's something in me that thinks that hearing and listening will make a difference. And James comes back and says, no. In fact, if you believe that, you're deceiving yourself. Follow me. There is something in all of us that thinks that since I was in the room where it was talked about, where it was read or where it was taught, it's because I was in the room and I felt convicted. Well, then I'm different. Because I, I went to a small group and made some really good points and some points were made and it impacted me and, and all that, you know, we talked about and everything and I left there just kind of feeling convicted or moved. Well, then I'm different. You know, I have an app and I read the verse of the day every single day and there are some times that I look at it and I say, whoa, that's good stuff. And I end up closing out my app and going to work, and I feel like God was there. I felt moved. Well, then I'm different. See, sometimes we think, because we've read it, because we've agreed with it, and because it's moved us, we've been convicted, or we've been made to feel some sense of guilt. Well, then that's evidence that I have been made different. I've been changed. You know, listening and reading the truth is an essential first step. But lasting change does not come as a result of reading it, listening to it, and be moved by it. It doesn't. James says that change comes by doing what it says. That change is in the doing, not in the reading, not in the listening, and not in the movement, not in the conviction, not in the guilt that it may create. It is found, change is found in the going out and doing the hard work of incorporating it, how we approach life in our values and how we, how we spend the various resources of our life, time, energy, thoughts, money, whatever. And he says, if you think that reading it and hearing it and being made to feel guilty and moved by it is evidence that you're changed. He says you're deceiving yourself. 
You're not fooling God, but you're fooling yourself. He goes on and kind of extrapolates on that in verse 23. It says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He says that listening and reading truth that convicts you, but you don't begin to do the hard work of cultivating it into your life and doing what it says. Here's what that's like. It's like you rolling out of bed whatever time you get up in the morning and you stumble on into the, the bathroom and you turn on the light and look in the mirror and you go, oh, dang, you know. You see what's there. And the hair's crazy, unshaven. You need a shower, you need a shave. Ladies, you need to put on that second face if you know what I'm talking about. You know, you just look what's there and you're just like, oh, wow. That was, that was bad. That's bad. And you agree with it. You respond and react to it emotionally. <laughs> Somebody needs to do something about that. And then you walk out and you put on your clothes and you go to work. You go to school. Sure. You saw what you saw. You saw something that wasn't pretty. You acknowledged it wasn't pretty. You admitted that that was not good, that you reacted to it. Something needs to be done. You felt, in a sense, convicted by what you saw. But you just didn't do anything about it and just went on to work. You're not going to do that. You woke up in the morning and look in that mirror and hair's gone everywhere. I wish that was my problem. And, and you don't, you're not shaved. And you need to put on that second face. That's exactly what you're going to do. Because the mirror requires a response. The mirror requires, if something's going to change, you've got to respond to what you see, not just feel bad about it, not just say, oh, dang, that's ugly. And here's the thing about it. In the real world, you don't get credit for just looking into the mirror. You know, you roll out of bed and, you stumble into the bathroom, turn on that light, and you see what's there, and you're like, oh, dang, that's nasty, and your hair's great, and all that, and then you go, go, get your clothes on, and you head on into work. What's going to happen? The boss is going to catch you and go, oh, hold on there, Buster. We're not going to send you in to meet with that client. And you respond, but I looked in the mirror. I felt bad. I really wanted not to look this way. I really felt kind of guilty of the fact that I was coming to work looking this I know, I know that something, I felt that I needed to clean all this up. You're going to get any credit for that? No, the boss is going to look and say, well, that's great. You still look like crap, right? Get out. It's not in how you felt. It's not seeing it in the mirror. It's not reacting to it. It's what you did is what matters. That's what James is saying here. And yet that's exactly what it do, we do when it comes to our life, when it comes to reading the word and hearing it in our behavior. We want credit because we showed up. 
We want credit because we read it or we listened to it and we heard it and we were moved by it and we were convicted by it and we said, oh, you know what? I need to stop doing that. I need to start doing that. I'm moved by that. Oh, God is so great. That is so true. And we are so moved. It's like looking in the mirror and acknowledging what we see and that something needs to be done. And we open the scripture and we do that. And sometimes it moves us. It convicts us. It challenges us. And we want credit because we felt that way. And through James, God steps up and says, that's a great first step. But change is not as it come from reading it and hearing it, agreeing with it, and being convicted by it. What I want to know is what you did with it. Because change is found in the doing. And the reason, the reason God asks us that and challenges that and says that change is found in the doing is because he knows that what we do now, the habits that we build now, the standard that we build now, what we do right now is likely going to be what we're going to do in the next season of our life. That next chapter that's coming. That the change we work on and make happen now is what we're going to bring into the next season of our life. And if we become, if we become better now, if we start doing better now, what God knows is that we'll carry that forward and we will start doing better later in the next season of our life. So James essentially says, what you got to stop doing is that when I, then I kind of mentality of life. And we kind of, kind of approach so many things in life, especially in the things that are in here that God challenges us to do that are difficult to do. We don't want to say no. So we do the when I, then I kind of thing with God. When I graduate, well, then I, I'll really become a good Christian because I'll have time to really pursue God and read these words and do the... Or, or, or when, I, when I, I, I you know, make more money, well, then, then I, I'll, you know, I, I'll give, or then I, I'll really work on being serious about debt. And when, when I get married, then I... When I get more time and I get this off, then I. When I get past this, then I. When I get my life right, then I'll, I'll show up at church or then I'll, I'll get active. You know, we have a tendency to try to put off the things that we need to be doing right now that we acknowledge, maybe we're convicted about doing right now, and we put them off the future and we, we kind of medicate that because we know it's not what God has. We kind of medicate it by just saying, you know, I'll do it when this happens. And James sets up and says, listen, change is not going to come just because you want it to happen. James is not gonna come, uh, change is not going to come because you're going to wish it to happen. Change isn't going to come because you've read the, even the Scripture and agreed with it or moved by it and convicted by it. Change is found in the doing. Do not merely read, listen to the Word. Do what it says. Because change is found in the doing. Verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, it's talking about scripture, and that gives freedom and continues in it. In other words, what? They continue. It doesn't mean they're perfect. It means they continually work to bring it about, impacting what they do now. 
They're putting into practice now, in this season of life. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law and gives, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed when? In what they do. It says here, those that look intently into the perfect law. The word intently there means someone who sits back and ponders how what they're reading and what they're moved by, how that intersects with their life and behavior. He says, that's the person I'm talking about here. One that doesn't just read it, not just convicted of it, doesn't just agree with it, but one that when they hear the Scripture, their reaction is, I need to really think about how my life behavior now intersects with that verse and what needs to be addressed, what needs to be encouraged, what needs to be discouraged, what, how, that, how that intersects with how I'm living right now. How can I put it into practice? He says, that person that does that, they're the ones that will be blessed in what they do now. We need to focus in here on the word blessed. Because in the original language, we need to understand what that word means. Because today, that is misdefined so often. Sometimes in our own head. Because when we say that, we'll be blessed in what they do. Meaning, well, God's going to bless us if we begin to do this stuff. And that means God's going to give us things, you know. In our materialistic American culture, we think when we're being blessed by someone, they're giving us something. God's going to give us good things, maybe good days, maybe good things. God's going to do all these kinds of things. And, and sometimes it's in our own head. Sometimes that's taught to us. The televangelists that are out there, the Joel Olsteins of this world, propagate that kind of thinking. You know, you give, and they'll say things like, you give us, you send in a hundred. God is going to give you a thousand. And they use verses like this. We're blessed. God's going to bless you. And that's, they define it in those terms. Uh, for the day that I meet one of those guys and have a conversation with them, with Joel Olstein, I'm going to tell him, listen, brother, I'm going to do your church a favor. And you don't, listen, I'm so humble, you do not have to thank me. And here's the favor, brother. You're right. Give $100 to your church. God's going to give 1000 I believe that. So right now, I'm going to do your church a favor. You give me a million and we're both going to believe God is going to give your church $10 million because of it. And you can write that check and don't even have to thank me for it. I'll just take it in humility and go forward in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. But anyway, that's the kind of thought that they give that. The Greek word for the word blessed is much simpler. It's just the word happy. You know, the... the in, in the Beatitudes, blessed is those, blessed are those. You know what that word means? It just means happy. It means, he's, that's a list of Beatitudes. You go back and read them. God is just saying, here's the things. When you begin to put these things into your practice, when these things become the kind of the, the framework of how you build your life, guess what's going to happen? You're just going to build a life of greater happiness. And he's saying this, that whoever looks intently, those that, that ponder, don't just hear the word moved by convicted, but those who sit back and seriously ponder about how do I intersect the truth here that's convicted me with how I live now. What are the impacts? I cannot ignore it. I can't just be moved by it the, because change is found in the doing. Otherwise, it's just an emotional moment. How do I do that? And the person that sits and ponders, and that's how they look and react to Scripture. Those that do that into the perfect law of Scripture, which gives freedom and continues in it, that's how they approach life. Not forgetting to what they've heard, but doing it. They will be happier in what they do. 
the understanding here is this. Is that when you begin to take the scripture, that will at times convict you. It will move you. It will point out some things in your life that are out of step and you'll begin to feel guilt on some things which can be good as long as we carry it to the cross. When that begins to take place and you don't just end there but you know that change is found in the doing and you begin to constantly ask how is this going to affect my tomorrow? How is it going to affect not in the future? How does it affect right now? What do I need to address? What does it address in my life right now and what am I going to do about it? What James understands, what God understands, is that as you begin to approach that, that way, that, that, that it's found in the doing, you'll become better. You'll just become better. You'll become better version of you. And as you become better, you take that better version of you into your what's next. And all of a sudden, you start getting and doing better. And guess what happens when you start doing better, when you start loving better, when you start thinking better, when you start acting better, when you start having better values, better standard, better character, better faith, guess what happens? You become happier. And that's what God wants. Happiness is found not in just getting in and feeling better. Happiness is found in doing what it takes to you become a better version of yourself. And that is found in the doing, not in just the reading or listening. It's found in doing and being willing, being willing to understand that doing this is not what most people are going to do. They'll listen. Some will just reject it. Some will listen. Many will listen and agree and be moved by it. But the group that takes it to the next step and says, no, no, it's in the doing. Those that do that are a minority because it's not easy. It's not popular. Sometimes you have to walk alone. But we do it, and you know why we do it? It's because we know that it's in the doing we are changed. And when we are changed, we are changed into something better. And we bring a better version into us, into our what's next. And the end result on that is that we build a higher and more consistent life of happiness. That's what he wants for you. And that happier life later does not begin later. It begins now. It begins now willing to invest whatever it takes to move your life to where it's not just agreeing. It's not just being moved by or convicted by the Scripture. It is going out and doing the work of doing it. That's how we prepare now for what's next. And preparing now for what's next is not always easy. And it's not a plan. Because it's better than a plan. Because plans are good. Plans are needed. Plans can be fun. But preparation is where we're changed. Preparation is always better than a plan.